Cool, okay. Um, did you know that there are times in uh, the life of a church family where it's okay and even necessary to divide and go separate directions? There are times where that's okay. Times where in order to, to keep the peace, in order to stay true to who you are, who God's called you to be, and, and maybe to do the things that God's put in your heart, where it's okay to, to go different directions, it's, it's even the right thing to do. Um, after I graduated from high school, I spent that first summer, this is way back in 1992, um, I spent that first summer uh, working in a grocery store, and then as soon as the summer was over, I was, I was out of there, I was off for college. And as much as I'd like to think that the main reason that I went off to college right after I graduate was because I wanted, I was so responsible and, and had just the grand plan for the future laid out and just was following through with that. If I'm really honest with you today, I have to admit that, that a big reason for college is that I just kind of wanted to get out of my parents' house. I wanted to have a little freedom, and that gave me a great excuse to do that. And um, if you went to college, don't pretend like it was any different for you. Come on, I know how it works. A lot of you were in the exact same boat. College for you represented freedom. Get to get out there and just do whatever. And you're, you're, you're kind of in this brand new place. I remember being in this place of just, just being out from under my parents' roof. I had, didn't have all the rules and restrictions. All that kind of stuff was, was gone, just was total freedom. And so here I was, I was off at college, but then after my first year, I was desperately homesick. Um, I, I realized that there was nothing quite like mom's home, homemade cooking. Um, and then on top of that, I was just a little disillusioned with my whole college experience. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And so I decided that I was going to get a job back home, and I was going to live with my parents for a while. Well, that while turned into two years, and it was actually two very, very difficult years at home. Um, there was constant friction between me, me and my parents, and the reason is because I'd experienced all this freedom off at college, all this freedom living out from under my parents' umbrella, and when I got back home, all of a sudden the boundaries seemed really, really, really small. And uh, later on, my parents and I just probably several years ago, we were talking about this, and, and, and uh, I don't know how we got on the topic, but I was just asking them questions about that, that two-year period when I was living back at home, and just asking them, I think it was because we, we had some adult children living at home, we were trying to just get some wisdom on how to do that, and just asking questions like, hey, how was, how was I, was I difficult? And in my head, I just, I knew there was some friction there, but, but I didn't remember just how bad the friction was, and my mom's like, you know, it was so bad that we actually, your dad and I had no idea what to do. And so we had, to, we actually went out and we bought all these books on how to parent adult children and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, really? You know, it's funny how you can look back and you go, I was a pretty good kid and all that kind of stuff. But they're like, no. <laughs> it was not like that at all. It was very, very challenging. Well, eventually it became clear over time that the best way, the best thing for me to do and the best thing in order to keep me and my parents' relationship solid and intact and, and the love there, all that kind of stuff, the best thing for me to do was to actually head back off to college and finish it off and start living life on my own. Well, in the fall of 1995, I moved out of my parents' house for the last time and headed off on my own. And this was 
a good thing. It was a good thing. And I don't think anybody listening, whether you're here in person or online, I don't think anybody would argue with that. You go, yeah, that's just life. That's how it goes. It's a good thing to actually, you know, divide, so to speak, and go your, go your separate directions. And it actually works just like this in the church family as well. There are times when it's, it's, it's good to divide, so to speak, to part ways and to go different directions. And I want to jump into Scripture really quick this morning and see what God's Word has to say about this, and then we're going to unpack it all. And the verses that we're going to start off with uh, have to do with Jesus. You know, some people have this idea with Jesus where they kind of see Jesus as like this long-haired, hippie guy. You know, he's driving around in a VW Volkswagen van, and he's, he's, he's making uh, daisy chains for all the kids, and he's just all about peace, love, and harmony, no matter what the cost. He's just, that's his highest priority. That's actually not the Jesus of the Bible. And listen to the reaction that people had to him. In John chapter 7, verse 40, it says, On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, Well, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? And get this. Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Another time, it was the religious leaders specifically who were the ones divided. It says some of the, the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders of the day, they said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And what does the Bible say? So they were divided. And if you're to continue reading these two texts, what you will find, or actually rather what you won't find, is you're not going to find that Jesus kind of softens what he says. He doesn't kind of pull back and go, oh, people are a little discomfort, uh, uncomfortable here, and, and this is rubbing people the wrong way. I better soften what I'm saying. better soften what I'm preaching. better change things up a little bit. No, he's actually okay with the division, and he knows that what he's teaching is actually polarizing. The other text that I want to read is found in, in Acts chapter 15, and this is the, actually the same chapter that we read a couple weeks ago. And if you remember where, what we read, the text was all about how the church has its first major conflict. There's division that's happening in the church. There's heated arguments going on. And, and the, the whole situation actually resolves in a pretty powerful way. The church ends up united. But then the last part of this chapter tells the story of another conflict that took place a conflict that rather than uniting the church would actually lead to the church dividing and going their own separate ways in a way that was good. The story involves two uh, early church missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. Um, these guys had been living in the city of Antioch. They'd been out doing all these different missionary trips, and here they are living in the city of Antioch. They're kind of plugged into that church there. Well, the time comes for both those guys to go, okay, we need to head out, go back to the churches that we planted, just visit them, encourage them, strengthen them, all that kind of stuff. And as they're ready to head back out, a dispute arises between these two guys. And the Bible says what happened like this. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Not just disagreed, he disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with, the work, with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp 
that what happened? They separated. Barnabas with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And what we need to see here is that division happened in Scripture. And get this, it wasn't always a bad thing. And this is true even today. And, and what we need to get figured out, though, is what are the things worth dividing over? And then how do we go separate ways in a way that, that is, that's Christ-like? You see, in the church, I don't actually, as a pastor, I don't worry so much about division that's overt and that's obvious, you know, where people are splitting over the kinds of songs that we sing or the length of the sermons or this or that. Because I think this kind of division is actually pretty rare, and it's a little easier actually to deal with. The kind of division that concerns me more is the kind of division that kind of, it's, it's, it's more under the surface. It's, it kind of just lurks there, and you don't even really realize it. It's the kind, kind that kind of pushes people away from one another, because maybe we become suspicious of what a person stands for, or we come to conclusions about what they believe based on gossip, or misunderstandings around what they said or what they didn't say. This kind of division, it, it lurks under the surface and can actually end up causing some of the worst damage. And in this kind of division, I, I think it happens for three main reasons. One, we don't have a clear understanding of what unity looks like. Chances are, if I was to ask you this morning, what does unity look like? What does it mean? We'd probably have a hundred different ideas of what it looks like. Another reason that it happens is we, we make the mistake of believing that unity, harmony, is the highest goal of the church. It's not. And we also see this division happening because we don't understand that there are times when it's actually good to divide and go two separate ways, and we try desperately to keep things together when actually it's better to go, okay, you, know, you believe this, we believe this, and rather than try to like just fight and argue and conflict all the time, it's just better to go go different ways. And so what I hope to do this morning is unpack each of these reasons and then hopefully give us some understanding that will lead to a greater unity and less polarization um, in our church. Um, several years ago, a pastor and author out of California, a guy named Larry Osborne, he wrote this book called The Unity Factor. And in his book, he discussed three areas in which we pursue unity as a church. And if we're going to be a church that's united— not just united on, in a surface level kind of way. You know, we come in, it's how, how, hi, how are you doing? And we just have good chit-chat and all that kind of stuff. And we sing songs together and we leave. You know, not just united in a surface level way, but united really in a deep kind of way. Um, deep down in our hearts, in our minds. You know, what, what Paul talked about in Philippians 2. That kind of united. If we want to see that kind of united, we need to have agreement in these three areas that I'm going to discuss this morning. And if you're taking notes, here's the first one. The first area that we pursue unity in is theologically. Theologically. Well, Rich, what the heck does that, that even mean? Theologically is ar around what we believe about God's Word and about life. What, what do we believe that God's Word says? What's, what's the doctrinal truths, the tenets of our faith that, that we hold to? What do we believe about God? What do we believe about the Bible? What do we believe about sin? What do we believe about heaven, about, about the cross, all that kind of stuff? What are the things that we as a church go, okay, these are things we are willing to fight for? What are those things? 
What are the issues where, if even necessary, we'll go, okay, we'll divide over these, these things. And as we, we read earlier on, people were divided over Jesus, and, and he, was, he, he let them go their separate ways. He let them go their separate ways. And if you're wondering, okay, what are the theological beliefs that we'll fight for? What are the doctrinal truths that we as a church hold to? Um, you know, for the most part, you can find all of these on our, our website. And it's in our statement of faith. You don't really have to try to figure out what these things are because we have them written down because we want you to know very clearly, okay, here, is, here are the things that we're going to fight for. And I won't read the, the entire list this, this morning, but in our statement of faith, you'll find statements like this. Doctrinal anchor point, points that we hold fast to. We believe things like this. The Scriptures, the Bible, both the Old and New Testament are the inspired Word of God without error in the original writings. The Bible is the complete written revelation of God's will for the salvation of mankind and the divine and final authority for Christian faith in life. Now that's a bit of a mouthful, but we hold fast to that. Another thing that you're going to find in our doctrinal statement is this. We believe that Jesus Christ is both truly God and truly man, having been conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He died on the cross once for all as a sacrifice for sin according to the Scriptures. Furthermore, He arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, where at the right hand of God the Father, He is now our, our high priest and advocate. We believe these truth, truths. We will fight for these. We'll even divide over these truths. You see, in every church— you have what are the closed-handed issues, and you have what are the, the open-handed issues. When it comes to the, the closed-handed issues, these are those issues that we hold tightly to. We're, we're, we're not opening up our hands and saying, yeah, maybe we believe that, maybe we don't believe that. The day won't come where we will sit down and go, hey, let's talk about whether or not Jesus really was God. Yeah, we're not really too sure. Was he God? Maybe he was. Maybe he, he wasn't. Now, if you have questions about that, yes, we'll, we'll be more than happy to sit down with you and, and tell you and walk you through why we believe that. But it's not up for discussion as to whether or not we believe that Jesus is God. It is a closed-handed issue. And, and, and that's just that's what we believe. It's a theological anchor point for us. But then on this hand, there are open-handed issues that, that we have as a church. And these are the issues that, that we just hold loosely. We're, we're not going to fight and divide over these issues. I'm sure we can talk about them. We're going to discuss our different opinions about them. We're going to discuss our different ideas about them. But we refuse to let the open-handed things divide us. In the open hand, we find issues like how to best educate our kids— um, open hand, whether or not uh, drinking alcohol is okay. Open hand, how to dress for church. Open hand, political party affiliation. Worship expression, whether or not to get vaccinated. Open-handed issue. We don't fight over these things. Yes, we have arguments or debates. We can talk about our ideas, but, but they're open-handed issues for us as a church. We've even decided the past couple years— to make gathering in person in this building an open-handed issue. Um, it, we're not going to fight over these. Um, when when the, all the, the COVID stuff first happened and we, we went all online, there were churches out there that said, no, meeting in person, that for us is a closed-handed 
issue. We're going to defy what the government says. We're gonna, we're, we are going to meet in person no matter what. But for us, it's an open-handed issue. We don't read anywhere in our Bibles where we are commanded to meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And so we went, okay, open, open-handed issue. Not a hill that we're going to die on. We would rather die on these hills where it's close-handed. We rather would die on the hill of Jesus is God. He came to die for our sins. He came to set us free. We're going we're to die on that hill. And, and here's what you need to know about CTK. Not just CTK Ferndale, but CTK, as our, as our whole network goes, we, we consider ourselves a big tent kind of church. There is a lot of room under this tent for all kinds of different denominational backgrounds. You know, even right here in this room, we have, we have Lutherans, we have people with Baptist background, Pentecostal backgrounds. We have every different background. We're, we're, we're a big tent. And the reason for this is largely because we have made a decision that we're going to make the main thing, the main thing, and we're not going to divide over these other peripheral matters. Now, where this gets tricky is when it comes to issues that are closed-handed issues, but don't necessarily show up on a doctrinal statement somewhere. It gets even more tricky when the culture around us is making these issues major issues that they're willing to fight for at all costs. And the most obvious example of that this morning would be gender and sexuality. We believe that the Bible clearly states that, that, that homosexuality is not God's design, that, it, that, it's, that it's sin. And we also believe that the Scripture makes it very clear that when God created everybody, He, he, he created them, the Bible says, male and female. We believe that God created us male and female, and that sexual intimacy is to be shared between a husband and wife. This is a closed-handed issue for us. And it's not closed-handed because we're trying to make life difficult for someone that would say they feel attracted to the same sex. It's not because we're trying to make life difficult for the person that says, hey, I identify more with the gender that I wasn't born with. That's not why we believe that. They're closed-handed issues because we believe the Bible is the final authority for faith and living. And you see, what's at stake with some of these issues that maybe aren't in a doctrinal statement, but we, we still hold them closed-handed, what's at stake is not someone's personal preference. What's at stake at the end of the day is the final authority of God's Word. That's what's at stake. Because if we change Scripture on this, if it's not the, the final authority in all things, including this area— if it's not that, then what we end up doing is we end up actually changing other parts of God's Word as well. And we head down this, this slope of just the, the, the Bible becomes just more a book of options. It's just, it's just some ideas and some opinions for you on how to live your life. Now, does this mean that we get all judgmental and judgy towards people who believe differently than we do? Does it mean that we shut our doors to people struggling with this and, and trying to figure things out? No. Absolutely not. Not at all. We offer love. We're a church that offers acceptance, grace, but all while holding fast in a spirit of love and humility to the things that, that are our theological beliefs, anchor points. And it's absolutely critical for us as a church that we stay vigilant when it comes to our, our closed-handed issues. 
it's critical. And, and here's why it's critical. When we vigilantly protect and stand firm on our core beliefs, it will keep us from, from cultural accommodations to Christianity. It'll keep us from that. And what I mean by that is this. The culture that, that we swim in as a church is constantly pressing, pressing, pressing against what we believe God's Word says. It's getting us to, to, to shift some of these core tenets of our faith to better accommodate the culture around us. And what's happened over the years is that in the name of love and kindness, in the name of harmony and unity, making that the highest goal, the church has actually backed off on some of what we believe to be the core tenets of our faith, the closed-handed issues, all in an effort to accommodate the culture around us. And this used to be actually called, it used to back in the day, it had a, had a name. Doing this was called liberalism. Um, maybe today some of you have heard the, the phrase floating around, progressive Christianity. Um, it's a thing. And what this is, is it's, Christi it's Christianity that waters down the truth in an effort to be less offensive to the world around it. And I think I can probably make this guarantee this morning. Our, what we believe as a church it's not going to get less offensive to the world around us. It's going to get more offensive to the world around us. More offensive. And in fact, my, I, my brother pastors up in Canada, and he's got some connections with some, some pretty high up people. And they're saying up there, hey, just be prepared for not even having your building one day because, because that's just where things are going. Quickly up there. All around these issues that we, we believe these, but the culture, as you know, is very, very, very opposed to how the church believes. That's not going to likely be changing anytime soon. Sorry to sound like a doomsday dude up here this morning. But we're not becoming less offensive, we're becoming more offensive to the, to the culture around us. And it's so important that, that we hold fast to what God's word says, and we hold fast to what's true. And, and we, we have to know what we believe, and as a church, we have to stay united on that. And in doing so, we pursue and we maintain theological unity. The next area that we pursue unity in is relationally. The Bible makes it clear how we're to live and we're to serve together. You know, we're called to love one another. Last week we read in Ephesians this call for unity, and Paul exhorts the church to always be humble and gentle, to be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That's the kind of church that we, we want to be about. We want to be people who are quick to forgive, quick to work through conflict, who's working together. We're shouldering the burden of ministry together. And by doing this, we pursue relational unity. Now, what this doesn't mean is that we all go out this week and we all buy matching t-shirts that say, I love CTK Ferndale. That's not what this is about. That would be weird and cult-like. Um, but it does mean that we pursue love. It means that we agree to look out for each other's interests. We share with one another. We open up our homes for one another. We give, we laugh, and we play together. That's pursuing relational unity. And then the last area that we pursue unity in, so, so theologically around what we believe, second area is relationally, just how we we are with one another, how we relate to one another. And the third area is philosophically. Philosophically. Which is to say, 
we pursue unity around our methods, around our style, around what we value specifically as a church, around our mission and our goals that we're, we're going after. And it is okay to divide in part ways over philosophical differences. The story of Paul and Barnabas is case in point of that. Um, they parted ways over a philosophical difference around who would be a part of their team as they headed back to these churches that, are, that, that they were going to plant. Um, Barnabas wanted John Mark to be a part of that. Paul's like, no, he deserted us back here. He's not going to be a part of this. They have this debate, and they end up going to two separate directions, and God works through that. It's, it's, it's okay. They, they couldn't agree, so they agree to disagree, and they, they part ways. And it, it's important to be united philosophically. And this is probably the area where churches actually tend to divide the most, is, when it, is over methods and style. But knowing where your church stands in these areas, when you know, okay, what is CTK Ferndale all about when it comes to our philosophy of ministry, our method, style, values, all that stuff, when you know where, where we stand, it's way easier to be united and to be together and to be moving in the same direction compared to when you don't know. It keeps us united. You know, if you want me wearing a, a robe and leading Gregorian chants and starting up a handbell choir in our church, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. Not going to happen. If you want us to start an interpretive dance team and to worship for two to three hours every Sunday while people speak out loud in tongues, you're in the wrong place. Not because we don't agree with speaking in tongues or that kind of stuff. It's just that's not our style on a Sunday morning. Um, I once had somebody ask me one time, they said, Hey, Rich, I got this great idea. I think that we should make a bunch of signs, big, big tall signs, that say things like, Jesus loves you, and, and we should all get those signs as a church, and we should take a Saturday and take a couple hours and all go down to the bridge on Main Street and hold those signs and wave them in people's faces, all that kind of stuff. They had a great heart in it, but it's like, nah, that's not us. We believe in doing things relationally as a church. It's a big part of our philosophical framework. We are relational, and standing there with a sign that says Jesus loves you is anything but relational. Now, is this to say that there's something wrong with these other styles? Not, not at all. It's just simply saying that they're not us. They're not us. Now, if you want to have a church where the worship on, goes for two, three hours, and, and it's very demonstrative in, in the worship, and there's all kinds of churches out there that are like that. And we would just, we'd, we'd bless you and say, yes, I got some great ideas. Here's some churches that are totally down that, that alley. If you want a church where the, 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 the guy up here is not a pastor, but maybe called a priest and wears long robes and has big jewelry and all that kind of stuff, great. But this, that's just, that's not us. That's, that's, not, that's not who we are. At CTK, we have a very distinct style in most of what we do. Pretty simple. I mean, I mean, we, we are simple. That's that's simple. That's that's who we are. You know, you walk you walk in and and you come. To, we're just we don't have big flashy chandeliers everywhere. There's not like smoke machines, a big massive light show. There's simple, authentic. That's a big part of who we are. You know, you come on a Sunday morning. It's typically four or five songs. You're gonna get pretty laid back. 
You know, if you want to come and wear a hat, that's fine. If you want to come and wear a dress shirt, that's fine. If you want to come and wear jeans, that's fine. If you want to come and wear shorts, it's all okay. Simple furnishings. You know, if you want, like, elaborate pews with, like, big, thick cushions. Not here. We've had the same chairs for 12 years. As you probably know, some of them are falling apart. But it's simple. We're, we're, we're like that. We're okay with that. That's, that's who we are. And if we don't have unity around these things, though, we end up dividing over the silliest of issues. Our philosophy has always had to do with what our goals and values are. And our goal as a church, this is all part of our philosophical framework, our goal as a church is really to help broken people become followers, disciples of Jesus. And, and then to help them become apprenticed to Him and learn to follow Him daily. And by the way, when I say our goal is to help broken people, that's all of us. It's to help broken people follow Jesus. I love how Dave Browning, who, who uh, just has been a key leader in our, the, the, the CTK story over the years and has, has um, since passed away, but he used to say this. He used to say, there are two kinds of people that, that fit in at CTK, at CTK. Broken people and those who care about broken people. If you don't think you're a broken person, you're probably not going to fit in around here very well. You're going to go, man, these people are they're jacked up around here. Let's go someplace where they got it all together. <laughs> if, you're, if, if, if you don't care about broken people, you're probably not going to feel like you fit in around here. Two kinds of people that fit here, broken people and those who care about broken people. Our goal, our mission is to create Christ-centered community that, that really reaches out to lost, broken people and helps them discover what it means to follow Jesus. And if you want a church where the goal is to get as many people as possible in here on a Sunday, wrong church. That's not actually our goal. A lot of the church, and the Western church particularly, they, that's the goal, is, hey, let's see how many people we can cram in a, 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 a building on a Sunday, and let's just get as many people as we possibly can. That's not our goal. Our goal is different. If you want a church where the goal is to preach through every book of the Bible every three years, or to build the biggest building in town, or to be actively involved in the, the political realm, that's fine if you want to do that, but that's, that's not us. Our goal is different. Our goal is to, to be all about creating Christ-centered community that, that reaches out to, to broken people so they might discover the joy of salvation and, and the joy of following Jesus. That's our goal. And so, so what does unity look like for us as a church? When we're talking about unity, when we're talking about, okay, how do we live as one in a divided world, what are we talking about? Well, we're t what we're talking about is when we, we're united around what we believe. We're united around that. And by the way, if you've got questions about that, ask. Ask. If you've got questions around what we believe about this, I mean, I'm, I'm, I love taking people out for coffee. I'll just ask. We'll, we'll go out for coffee. We'll sit down. We'll, we'll talk it through. Whatever. But, but you, we, we want to be united around what we believe. We want to be united around how we relate to one another. And lastly, we want to be united around how we work as an organization. We pursue theological, relational, and philosophical unity. Not for our sake, but for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of Christ 
in what he's doing. And as we close, I just, I want to encourage us in, in uh, I want to encourage us to do two things as we close this morning. The first thing is this. So we've talked a lot this morning about, okay, when is it okay to kind of part and go two different ways? And, it, and maybe you're here this morning and you're going, yeah, I, I think that's what I needed to hear. I'm done today. See, see you guys later. I'm out. <laughs> Peace. Um, don't ever be quick to divide and go a different direction. Don't ever be quick to divide and go a different direction. Because this, this is what I've seen as a pastor. I've been doing this pastor thing for a long time. And I can tell you, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Too many Christians have questions about what a church believes, or they have questions about how a church does things. Maybe the church has done things a certain way, and they, they shift things, and they start to do things a little bit differently, and, and, and they just have questions or doubts, or they're confused. And rather than press in and go, okay, this is my family. Remember we talked about how church is family. Rather than press in and go, okay, I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to have some conversations about this. I don't get this. I don't understand this. I've got some questions. Rather than have a conversation, you know what we're quick to do? We're quick to hit the eject button and just disappear. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, I've seen that happen where people just disappear. They're, they're gone. Now, I try to have conversations if I notice that someone has disappeared, and it's been much more difficult to figure out who's disappeared and who hasn't the last two years, by the way. But if I know that somebody has disappeared and just haven't seen them in a while, I'll try to have a conversation. And a lot of times those conversations will go, yeah, I just, I saw this and I saw this and I just, uh, or just things have changed, it's different. And usually what the result of that conversation is, is they just, they've had some questions, and rather than have a conversation, they just decide to take, honestly, what's the easy route, and just disappear. But, but I would encourage you, church is family. Stay in the conversation. Don't be quick to eject just because that's the easy, comfortable thing to do. No, church is family. Stay in the conversation because you just might learn that, that you have closed your hand around the wrong thing. Stay in the conversation. And if you hear other people, you know, you're connected, you're having conversations all the time with one another. If you hear somebody else that's going, yeah, I saw this, I heard this, yeah, I'm out. Encourage them. Hey, why don't you have a conversation with somebody? Sit down with Rich. Sit down with somebody that's on the church council, whatever. Have a conversation with somebody and just ask questions. Ask some questions. Don't, don't ever be quick to divide and go a different direction. And the second thing is this. This is so important. In all things, and at all times, maintain a posture of love and humility. At all times. We don't ever want to be the church that's got this prideful heart around whatever those closed hand issues are. We don't ever want to be the church that gets judgy because you don't believe what we believe, and, and we just get harsh. And You know, we don't ever want to be that church. We want to be the church that that has a posture at all times of love and humility. And the moment that we start acting as know-it-alls, the moment that we get our noses up in the air, the moment that we, we start to have this position or posture that we've got it all figured out and why can't you? Man, we've just, we've just missed it. We've missed the whole point of this. We've just gotten completely off track. 
I love what one of the, the early church fathers, named, a guy named Augustine, he said something that's so important for us this morning. And I want to close with this. He said, in essential matters, unity. In non-essential matters, diversity. In all matters, charity. In essential matters, unity. In non-essential matters, diversity. But in all things, charity. In all things, in all things, love. And this is the example that Jesus sets for us. It's what he calls us to be and what he calls us to do. And let's be that as a church. Let's be a church that goes, okay, these things here, these things here, we're we going to pursue unity. These things over here, yeah, we're going to have diverse opinions and thoughts and ideas, but, but, but we're not going to divide over these things. But in all things, we're going to maintain a Christ-like posture of love and humility. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to ask this morning that, Lord, you would help us, help us as a church, Jesus, to be united around these things. And I pray, Jesus, that for us as a church, Lord, it wouldn't be, that, that we, would, we would have the wisdom to know what are the closed-handed things and what are the things, Jesus, that, that we just need to hold with an open hand. And Lord, I pray that, Jesus, this morning, God, even right now in this moment, God, I, I think if all of us were honest in the room, we probably have, we probably have some open-handed issues that we have become maybe a little divisive over. We become a little bit um, angry, upset, open-handed issues. We, we have turned those into closed-handed issues and have become divisive within our families and divisive within our friends and divisive maybe in our workplaces, divisive in our church. Jesus, in this morning, you're asking us, God, to, to change our posture on those. To, yeah, to still have our ideas and opinions and all that, but, but not to hold on to those as aggressive, like closed-handed, heel-to-die-on issues. And God, if there are those issues in our lives, God, I, I just want to pray, Jesus, that, Lord, you would reveal what those are, what those are. God, even right now in this moment, would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? What are the things that we have that are, that are open-handed issues that we've turned into closed-handed issues? What are those things? And Father, I also want to pray, Jesus, that, Lord, you would you'd help us as a church, Lord, as we navigate, God, how to Lord, these, these things that are closed-handed issues, God, the, the things that we believe your word says, that, that Jesus, we, God, we, we hold to those not because we think that they're the right things, but God, we hold to them because we believe that that's what you say is truth. And yet, God, uh, the world that we live in is becoming more and more hostile towards those things. And so, God, I pray that you would help us, God, to be like you with those, er those, those different areas of our, of, of our faith. God, help us to be like you and that you were, what, what were you full of, Lord? You were full of grace and truth. You were full of truth. You had those closed-handed things that people were so angry over that they actually ended up crucifying you. You had those things, but God, in, in in the middle of all that, God, you, you kept a posture of grace. You kept a posture of humility. You kept a posture of love. Jesus, help us as a church 
God, to, to be like you as we hold fast to these, these things, God, that we believe to be true in your word. And Lord, I also want to pray, Jesus, that you would help us, God, to be united around, God, the, the things that we are, are, are aiming for as a church. God, the way that we, we, the things that we value, God, how we do things. God, may we be a church that, Lord, is constantly, God, just, I, God, I would say that we're, we're constantly having new ideas, new ways of doing things, and we're, we're kind of reinventing things. But God, may we be a church that, that really does hold fast, Lord, to how we are just trying to, God, go and make disciples, God, here in our city and in our world. Help us in that, I pray. And Jesus, I pray that, that, Lord, as we unite, God, around these three things, God, I pray, Jesus, that, Lord, we would be a light in our city. God, may we have a unity as a church, God, that goes beyond being surface level and, and goes to really being a deep, foundational, united in heart, soul, and mind. God, may we have that kind of unity as a church. And Lord, I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.